Well, good evening. I'm so excited to, um, to be speaking this evening. Obviously, you're used to seeing me up here. Um, you're used to seeing me up here with a guitar in my hands, but it's a real privilege to speak to you tonight. But I actually thought that although a lot of you might know who I am, you might not know much about me, so I thought I'd still introduce myself a bit more to you. So I'm 25 years old. I'm married to Becky, um, who's down here. What a girl. Um, She's 24. We are celebrating in September four years of marriage. Um, And we've been together for seven years since we started dating um, at New Day when I was 18 and she was 17. Uh, We currently have no kids, but I am enjoying being fun Uncle Neil to um, a lot of our friends and family's kids, getting to play superheroes, having sword fights, but then getting to give them back at the end of the day and not lose any sleep. Um, My family have been at uh, this site, worshipping here at Catford since 1945, um, when my grandparents moved here. Um, so, yeah, I've been born here. I love it here. I'm so grateful that I've had this church to grow up in um, and help me in my journey with God. As Hilary said, I now oversee all of our youth work here and our worship. And, um, yeah, feel very privileged then to stand here this evening and open God's word with you. So, let me just pray. And then we'll get stuck in. Father God, we want to ask just for your Holy Spirit to be here this evening. Father, I pray that you'd help me be faithful to your word. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive. And God, yes, speak to us, change us, reveal Jesus to us tonight, I pray. Amen. So tonight we are looking at the next part of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the fifth message in the series, and for me, the biggest lesson I've taken away so far from this series is the order in which Jesus prays, the order that he gives to his petitions. On week one, Phil Varley spoke to us, and he told us a story about when his family were in the Lake District, and they took a wrong turn in, and he spoke about the fact that they actually caught the mistake quite early, and so it didn't cost them too much in the way of time or hassle, but he spoke about the importance of having the right starting position. And so this evening, before we look at our verse for today, I want to take a moment just to make sure that we are positioned correctly on the map, to centre ourselves again, and look at the topics that we've already heard on to make sure we're positioned correctly for this evening. And so on week one, we looked at our Father. This is where Jesus tells us to start when we pray. Before any petitions or requests are made, we first acknowledge our standing before God. Martin Luther, a 15th century theologian, regarded this opener as a call to not just plunge into talking to God, but to first recollect our situation and realise our standing in Christ before we proceed to prayer. Wrapped up in these two words... We find ourselves acknowledging again the saving grace of Jesus, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, which brought about our adoption to sonship, by which we now cry out, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15, all in these two opening words. Hallowed be your name. This petition has two applications. It is a call for ourselves to inwardly bring glory to God, where we as baptised believers now carry the name and spirit of God, yet at times still dishonour his name, where we bring ingratitude or maybe even indifference. It's a rally cry to once again have our hearts sing, holy, holy, holy. It's also an outward-looking prayer, 
that God would be glorified among all the nations, that faith would spread, and that more people would honor God and call on his name. Week two, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This, again, has a two-dimensional approach, an inward and an outward application. It's firstly a prayer of lordship, that God would reign over all of our lives, over our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, and our decisions. Secondly, it is a prayer looking into the future, knowing that one day we will fully realize and see his kingdom come. But asking for more signs of his reign here and now, over sickness, poverty, war, and injustice. Thy will be done ultimately links right back to the opening address of the prayer, our Father. For how are we to honestly and meaningfully pray this prayer of thy will be done if we have not first called on God as Father? When we're kids, we look at our parents like superheroes, don't we? They are indestructible. It's only if we first call on God as Father that we can truly pray this prayer of thy will be done in my life. You see, the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the way Jesus is teaching us to pray, is firstly to center ourselves back on who God is, on who we are in Christ, bringing our hearts back in line with him and his will. Each step of this prayer, we find ourselves being humbled as we gain proper perspective. We find selfish ambition and vain endeavor drained slowly away. We find our position on the map corrected again after the winds have blown us off course. It is then at this point that Jesus instructs us to bring our requests before God. The thing that often we start our prayers with, help. And so we ask for daily bread, the necessities of what we need, food and shelter. I think it's important for us to remember on that point that many of us in this room receive monthly salaries. We have jobs. We generally don't tend to worry about where our next meal will come from or where we will sleep tonight. But there are those in our community and in our congregation that actually this is a very real reality for. They're not sure what they will eat tonight. They're not sure where they will sleep this evening. And so for those of us that do have, it's important for us to remember that firstly, all that we have is by God's grace. It's important for us to remember that when we die, we can't take it with us. And it's important for us to remember to share our bread. Forgive us our debts. We can ask for forgiveness daily as we fall short of his righteousness. And we can ask for the strength, peace and love to show those who have wronged us grace and forgiveness and then we come to our verse for today lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil by way of introduction uh, as we enter this verse I just want to show a quick video if we've got that yeah brilliant let's roll it All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay? All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. 
So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> I particularly like, and it got a big laugh, but the girl that, when the lady hasn't even finished explaining the premise of the experiment and the girl's already putting it in, it's amazing. As well as being very funny and cute, I think it so perfectly gives us an image of temptation, of the pain and anguish in that moment when we are trying to reject or say no to it. Even when we know something better is coming, we still find it hard to resist. We live in a world that is tempting us every day. Advertisement boards showing us half-naked men and women. Programs like Love Island filling, feeding our lustful nature and desires. Programs, adverts, celebrities all telling us that all we need is money. All we need is that perfect person. All we need is that car, that job. Or that house. Oscar Wilde once said, the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Well, Jesus has something very different to say to us this morning. As we look at this verse, it's important that we first make sure we are taking away the correct meaning. As at first glance, it can be a little bit misleading. It can give us the impression that what it's saying is that God himself is who tempts us. Lord, lead us not into temptation. But this is the wrong understanding. James 1, 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire 
and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, that is pretty clear. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. And so, what is the sense then in praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation? Well, we need to look at the words, lead us not, in light of its counterpart, but deliver us. But to do this, we also need to know that evil can also be rendered as evil one. And in some translations, it is actually written, deliver us from the evil one. So we are now presented with the devil. And it is he who is the source of all tempting and evil desires. It is the devil that is tempting God's people to sin. And it is from him that we need rescuing and delivering. But the Bible also tells us that trials are good for us. James 1, 2-3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So again, I ask, why are we praying this prayer if God doesn't tempt us and that apparently trials are good for us? It seems to me that we need to marry these three pieces of information together. Firstly, that God does not or indeed cannot tempt us. Secondly, that the evil one, the devil, is the source of all evil and he is the one who brings trials and temptation. Thirdly, temptation is not sin, but unchecked, lingered in and flirted with, temptation does give birth to sin. That's what we just read in James. It seems that when you combine these pieces of information, that this prayer is actually a prayer to overcome the inevitable temptation and testing rather than to avoid it. Rephrased, this prayer could say, do not allow us to be so led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but rescue us from evil, from the evil one. You all know that moment when you stand up to temptation, when you reject it, when you stand firm, when you look back on it in the rearview mirror, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it build your confidence when you say no? And helps you say no the next time. That is what this passage in James means. When it says that trials are good for us. When we overcome temptation laid before us by Satan. When we reject it. When we say no. It bolsters our confidence. It fuels our faith. It helps us say no the next time it comes. Do not allow us to be so led into temptation that it overwhelms us. But rescue us from the evil one. It's important as well that we remember the context, the broader context of this prayer. This prayer during the Sermon on the Mount was sandwiched between two major moments of testing and temptation for Jesus. In Matthew 4, immediately after Jesus was baptized, we read of Jesus being tested in the wilderness by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is tested three times by the devil with food, with riches, with power. Have you noticed that temptation, no matter what the magnitude or severity, is never pleasant? In that moment of temptation, specifically when you reject temptation, whatever it may be feels like you're cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. The kids in that video, that one boy, when he's about to eat the marshmallow and then drops it and slaps his head to his face, it's hard. Now, since March, I have lost two stone in weight. Alright, thank you, thank you very much. It has not been easy. Along with going to the gym, I've been really watching what I've been eating. 
Now, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but before I was on a diet, in our church offices where we spend the majority of our working week, there was a biscuit tin. But I'm not a big fan of biscuits. They don't particularly do it for me. So it wasn't too bad. The minute I went on a diet, it seemed like every day someone was bringing in cake. It was always someone's birthday, always someone's anniversary, or it was just Friday, so there was cake. Chocolate cake, Victoria sponge, and my biggest nemesis, the donut. The donut. Now let's just get a quick show of hands. Who fancies a jam donut? Who prefers a jam, a bit of a jammy one? Yeah? All right, now here's the real test. Who fancies a custard donut? Yeah, bit of cuzzy wuzzy in that bad boy. Yeah, I'm a custard donut man. It was so hard. On a daily basis, it felt like I was having to cut my hand off to stop me eating a donut. I would be on one of, my, on one of the chairs eating one of these, a go-ahead biscuit. Yeah? Do you know these? Now, I told you, I don't like biscuits, let alone diet ones. All right? But I'd be sitting on my chair, and the staff would be eating their cake, and someone would say, Neil, are you sure you don't want some cake? I'd be like, no, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> like, doesn't compare to a donut, does it? Now, imagine Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, 40 nights, and he's out in the wilderness No one around, no one watching, no one to catch him out, no one to know any the wiser. And Satan turns the stones into bread. Such temptation. Now bread is my biggest nemesis. I would live on sandwiches if I could. I love bread. My mum and dad have got a bread maker. So in the morning you can sell it to make overnight, you come down to the smell of fresh bread. I want one so badly, but I know if I get one, it's game over. Dieting will not exist if I get a bread maker. Imagine this moment for Jesus. Hasn't eaten for 40 days, and Satan tempts him. Whilst Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he would have also been fully aware that the time was soon approaching when, it w- when he would be stripped naked, beaten, cursed, spat on, ridiculed, and nailed to the cross. We read that moment of anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus falls to the ground and prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The temptation in this moment to run, to hide, to fight, to call on the angels to save him. But no, after he again calls on his father, he finds the faith, the courage, and the trust to say again, not my will, but yours. This time, not on a sunny day, sitting with friends on a hillside, but in the face of torture, humiliation, and death. Jesus proves Oscar Wilde wrong. He did not yield to temptation, and neither do we. But the question for us, this is a series on prayer, right? So the question is, is how does this impact our prayer life? Now, just at this moment, I want to just actually say for myself that this series has been so helpful for my prayer life. I don't know if you were here last week, but Andrew Wilson kind of gave that demonstration of how often a lot of us pray that we'll be there, we'll be Jesus, you know, thank you for, thank you for grace. And is that a duck? We get distracted, don't we? When we pray, we get distracted all the time by things around us. And um, I've found that this series, learning how to pray like Jesus, 
So helpful. And again, Jesus doesn't tell us to use these exact words, although we can. But this model that we first come as before God as Father has been so helpful. I often pray on my way to and from work in my car and has been so helpful. And so this morning I have four prayer encouragements or challenges for us. The first one is to pray honestly. Two of our best friends who come to Kings, Stuart and Jade, Stuart's down here and he's going to be very excited that he got a mention. Um, We have a saying with them which is be real. And it kind of started as a bit of a joke once when we were ordering a takeaway. And you know sometimes when you're a friend, you're like, oh, what do you want? Oh, what do you want? And you're like, oh, whatever you want, don't worry, we're, we're not. And I think, I think I just said to him, like, be real, Stuart, what do you want? And it actually has become our, the phrase of our friendship. It's like, even in moments when we're really struggling with something, we're like, come on, be real, tell us what's going on. When we pray to God, when we have communication with God, we need to be real, we need to be honest. The funny thing is that God knows everything that's going on anyway. He knows the depths of your heart. And yet, we still think that we can put on a front with him. That we can still pretend. Even though he does already know what's going on in your heart, it does us so much good to verbalize it to him. To exercise that relationship. To strengthen it, to deepen it. And again, this is why Jesus teaches us to start our prayers by addressing God as Father. Because when we address God as Father, the trust that should come as we say those words, the feeling of unconditional love, of affection, of protection, should all lead us to saying honest, real prayers. If you're struggling here today, if you're flirting with temptation with sin, can I encourage you to come today and bring some honest, real prayers to God to your father, to trust him. He's already sent his son to die for you. So trust him today with what's going on in your heart. Two, pray trusting in his timing, knowledge, and wisdom. The reality is some of the time we live amongst unanswered prayers. Maybe you're here today and right now you feel like God is turning a deaf ear to your prayers. Maybe you've prayed for healing for your, either yourself or a loved one. Maybe you've prayed for a job Maybe you've prayed for a husband or a wife. Maybe you constantly feel under the yoke of the enemy. I too have had prayers that seemingly go unanswered. Every year at New Day since I was 14, I've prayed for my eyesight to be healed. I prayed again this year. I've prayed for friends and family to encounter Jesus powerfully. And yet, for some reason at the moment, in some cases, it doesn't seem to have been answered. Here's what we need to remember We have limited knowledge, limited understanding, and limited wisdom. We need to understand that when we pray, we are praying with as much information or knowledge that we have available to us in that moment. But God has unlimited knowledge, unlimited understanding, and wisdom. He sees far more than you and I can. He sees what has led to this moment, and he sees how every scenario plays out. And so I put to you today that no prayer truly goes unanswered. John Calvin writes, God grants our prayers even if he does not always respond to the exact form of our request. Sometimes our prayers are sinfully led. Sometimes, though well-intentioned, our prayers are just mistaken, again due to our limited understanding. Which is why we need to trust God in every prayer and ultimately ask for God's will, uh, for God to fulfill both our desires and his will. 
The 98th question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that is a hard word to say, and don't worry if you're thinking, what on earth is that? Um, The Westminster Shorter Catechism is basically a summary of Christian beliefs, Christian doctrine, and it's in the form of 107 questions with 107 answers. But the 98th question is, what is prayer? And this is the answer that's given. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. For things agreeable to his will. We need to trust in the will of God. That it is good, that it is wise and far outreaching our own attempts to know the way forward. Now just a, a brief pastoral comment on this, okay? It's easy for me to stand up here today and say that every prayer is answered. And I just want to say, I believe it's true. What I'm saying here tonight, I believe it's true. But you might be going through a season at the moment where seemingly prayer is unanswered, where it's difficult, where you're struggling, where it seems like God is turning a deaf ear. And I just want to say, I just want to acknowledge that to you this evening, that I hope that the words I'm saying do encourage you and build your faith. But I would also just encourage you to reach out to loved ones around you, people in your group, pastors. I just want to acknowledge that it might not, be as easy as the way that I'm making it sound at the moment. But I need you to hear that this is true. Number three, pray acknowledging the reality of the evil one. We need to have an accurate and healthy understanding and acknowledgement of the work of the enemy. For this point, I want to present you with three wrong approaches given by Tom Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer. Firstly, what he calls the head in the sand approach. You pretend evil doesn't exist, or that if it does, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, there are horrible things in this world. Yes, people do silly things, but if we all try a little harder, it will be okay. Tom Wright, quite amusingly, says this about that approach. He said, it's as good as your house being on fire, and you say, it's getting a little hot, but I'm just going to take off my jumper and have a cold drink, and it'll all be okay. doesn't cut it. Secondly, is the opposite of your previous point. You wallow in evil. (laughs) I love that photo. Uh, You wallow in it. You see evil round every corner, every misfortune. You become paranoid, allowing evil to dominate your life. And thirdly, it's found in self-righteousness. I love that when I type self-righteousness on Google, that's the photo that came up. Um, just to say I have nothing against Simon Cowell if you're listening to this on the podcast I have nothing against you Um, I just found it very amusing that your photo came up this is also a wrong approach this looks uh, this comes in the form of saying prayers like Lord yes there is evil out here but us righteous ones are here doesn't work The correct approach, the way Jesus is instructing us to approach the very real reality of evil in this world is in direct relationship with my final point for today. That we need to pray confident in the victory of Jesus. Evil is real. The evil one is real. He manipulates, he lies, he kills and he destroys. But he has been defeated. Can I get an amen? Amen. He has been defeated. He is living on borrowed 
time, since that moment in the Garden of Eden that we read in Genesis 3.15, when God says to Satan that Eve's offspring would one day crush his head, God's salvation plan has been rolling out from generation to generation. In our origin series, last term, we tracked the line of blessing go from one generation to the next until it came to a baby boy born in Bethlehem, Jesus of Nazareth, who was to take on the sin of the world who through agonized prayer after pleading with God to take the cup of suffering from him was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, who was hung on a cross, again, the crowds taunting him and mocking him, calling for him to prove if he really was the son of God to come down from the cross, to call on the angels to save him. Again, the temptation to give in, to surrender. And he was killed The one person who didn't deserve it, killed. But three days later, Jesus, risen from the grave, buying each and every person who puts their faith in him a freedom and a victory from the lure of sin, the certainty of death. That is what you and I deserved. But Jesus, paying the debt that we could never pay. We need to pray with this victory in mind we need to pray with the last words that Jesus said on the cross ringing in our ears that it is finished this should shape our prayers it should give us confidence that a God who would allow his son to die in that manner for us would he not be doing everything for our good it should give us hope that any prayer that seemingly goes unanswered in this life is answered in eternity. That one day we will live without sickness, without disease, without war, without fear. It should give us courage and boldness to, to call out the evil we still see in the world. It should change the way we spend our time and use our money and treat those around us. As we keep eternity in perspective, it should change the prayers that we bring to God as the feeble, selfish desires of our hearts are dwarfed in comparison to the righteous heartaches of God. For those still living in darkness, those still living without hope, or without love. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you here today, need to stop second-guessing God. Stop trying to grab the wheel and start giving thanks in all circumstances. Some here only clock in to pray when you need something and you skip straight to that part, help. You need to come back before God and simply enjoy Him, worship Him, teach your heart to sing holy, holy, holy. Prayer changes things. Prayer works. Prayer will change your heart. Prayer tears down walls. Prayer heals. Prayer comforts. Prayer brings courage. Prayer takes ground. Prayer brings revival. Let's be a people who pray like Jesus, with honesty, with audacity and boldness, trusting in the will and wisdom of God, aware and alert of the enemy's schemes, but walking in the victory of Jesus. Amen? Amen. If I could ask the band to come up. 
My plan was to sing um, before the throne of God above. But I felt a little whisper from God earlier in the first part of the meeting. And I'd like us to sing um, even though I walk, actually, again. And I just feel there are some here tonight that, again, you need to sing out and allow your heart to believe that God never lets go. That message needs to sink in this evening. And so, first of all, let's, let's sing. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's respond through this song. And then I will come back up in a moment and, and lead us on. So we just, let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray as we just come before God. Father God, I just pray that this evening, right now, as we sing this song, that we would worship with the victory of Jesus in our minds. Would that truth just rise in our hearts right now? Jesus, would you be glorified in this moment? We're so grateful, God, for all that you've done. And we come before you right now as sons and daughters. And we just want to lift praise and honor unto your name, God. Amen.